understand that uh, there's a story, uh, and I'm not sure if I have it exactly right, but that you either read or, or first heard about Edgar Casey and had your own sort of uh, premonition about your relationship to the Edgar Casey Center. Is that, do I have it right? You, you have it correct. When I was about uh, 16 years old, a high school teacher recommended me for Boys State. I lived in Colorado and Boys State was put on by the American Legion. And event, essentially it was a, uh, program you went to for a week at a college campus. This was at the Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And you got to learn about the US government for a week. You learned about the judiciary, Congress, the executive branch. And uh, it was just really background on the government, uh, maybe for people who might want a career in government. Well, by Wednesday of that week, I was, was bored out of my mind, quite honestly. And I thought, I, the last thing I want to do is be in government. So I went to the student union. Uh, this was 1975, and it had a big bookstore. And there was a book on the rack that had just come out called uh, A Prophet in His Own Country, The Story of the Young Edgar Casey," which was the second book Jess Stern had written about Edgar Casey. And I got that book, read it in the next couple of days. And when my parents came to pick me up on Friday, I told them, uh, I'm supposed to move to Virginia Beach and I'm supposed to be president of ARE. And my father thought I had lost my mind because I was... Uh, raised in a very conservative Catholic family. And so from then on, once a month, I had to go talk to a priest to kind of talk this out of me, different priests. And at the end of two years of doing that, I became really well-versed on talking about Edgar Casey. And uh, eventually when I graduated from college, I moved to Virginia Beach. And 16 years ago, I became CEO. So it wow. all happened. It is an incredible story. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting experience because after I read the book, it wasn't so much even boy, this is something I really want to do. It was just something I, I knew matter of factly it was going to happen. And uh, it, it did. And it's been an amazing experience. The Casey material is amazing. Casey talked about 10,000 different topics. He's the most documented psychic of all time. Uh, the Casey database is 24 million words. So uh, there's a wealth of material there to write about, for sure. Well, you know, uh, on this uh, subject, let's say, can we talk a little bit about uh, Edgar Casey, just for people who might not be familiar, and sure. also about the ARE, and, and uh, you know, give us just a little background. That'd be Absolutely. Great. So Edgar Casey is the most documented psychic of all time. He lived between 1877 and 1945. Uh, for 43 years of his adult life, he was able to put himself to sleep, close his eyes, uh, be given the name and address of anyone anywhere in the world. He could tune into that person. Uh, most of the material is about health information, but he also was able to talk about people's past lives, their future, their relationships, business advice, dream interpretation, uh, astrology, you name it, Casey talked about it. Uh, he hired a secretary named Gladys Davis who actually wrote down probably 95% of the readings we have copies of. I, I got involved early enough that Gladys was still alive when I started working at ARE. Uh, but he, he, his dream was to have a hospital where people would come and get a reading and regular doctors and therapists would carry out the treatment because he found that, you know, someone would come to Edgar Casey really as a last resort. They'd been to doctors, they'd been to even Mayo Clinic on occasion, couldn't be helped. So they'd write Edgar Casey, he'd give them a reading, they'd get this reading, they'd go to their doctor, a lot of the therapies had to be carried out by a doctor, and their, the client might say, you know, uh, this man I never met fell asleep a thousand miles away, tuned into me, and here's what I'm supposed to do about my problem. And some of his recommendations were at the time considered unusual. He talked about how diet could have a tremendous impact upon our health. He talked about how attitudes and emotions could have a tremendous impact upon our health. Uh, he outlined what today is really seen as the normal diet in terms of eating from the right food groups. 
And doctors were hesitant to follow some of these treatments because he recommended massage, chiropractic adjustments, all kinds of things. So his dream was to have a hospital where people could come and get a reading from him and treatments would be carried out by doctors. And over and over again, the readings recommended Virginia Beach, Virginia. He was born in Kentucky uh, as the place for the hospital. Uh, at the time, Virginia Beach was a very small resort. Uh, it had 300 full-time residents. But Casey said that Virginia Beach would become one of the largest resorts on the East Coast, and Norfolk would become one of the largest seaports, which at the time was science fiction back in 1926 when they moved here. But after World War II, Norfolk's seaport boomed. In fact, now it's third after, I believe, New York and Philadelphia. And Virginia Beach is the largest city in the state of Virginia now. We have half a million people. So uh, Casey founded the hospital, which is our headquarters, has been our headquarters. Uh, for many, many years. And we now have, the hospital is now used as a spa. So we do about 300 therapies a week when we're not having coronavirus in terms of massage, chiropractic, all kinds of things. And the purpose of ARE, the Edgar Casey ARE Association, is really to disseminate the information in the readings on health, discovering your mission in life, understanding your uh, purpose in life, how to get along better in your relationships, learning how to walk, have a closer walk with God, working with your health, anything you can imagine. And so we have members all over the world, uh, Edgar Casey centers in about 20 countries and activities all over. So what do people discover in that information? Like what is it that you guys have available that, I mean, we're talking about uh, seven decades I have written down here since he's crossed over and, uh, and we're still talking about him and we're still resourcing and, and, and I know you know, but, but not everybody listening might know like that you can even go on and look into the database of his readings and, and uh, look at certain ailments you might have and glean information. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this for a moment and sort of his relevance today? Sure, absolutely. And in fact, uh, let me start with my own personal example and then we'll go from there. My printer is coming off for some reason. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, in my own life, when I was going to college, I had a horrible experience with allergies. In fact, at the student health center, I used to get six allergy shots a week, three one day and three, three days later. Uh, doctors told me I was allergic to every tree, bush and shrub that grew in the state of Colorado. And so I was getting these uh, shots and eventually I started working with the case of material on allergies, which is really about trying to keep your body more alkaline, which he recommends for lots of things, including warding off a virus. And uh, by working with that, I don't even take pills anymore. I don't have a problem with allergies like I used to. And so that became my first experience with, my gosh, this stuff really works. But whether it's health or people wanting to learn how to meditate or people having challenges in a relationship and wanting to turn that around. Uh, I remember when I uh, worked at a, a large country club, I was one of the office staff there that processed all the payments from the country club members. And there was a woman in that office I really did not care for at all. And I worked, in fact, she and I were kind of at loggerheads a lot. And I worked on the material case he has on relationships for about two months and totally turned that relationship around so that when I left, we were actually friends. So whether it's relationships or health or having a closer walk with God, uh, people come to the Casey information right now. And like you said, our health database has about 400 elements. I usually say, a to V at least, uh, acne to varicose veins. You can look up <laughs> and you can see what Casey told people just like you and I to do about the problem and get relief. And that's all free and online. Uh, so the, the Casey resource, it continues to help people to this day. And part of the reason is 
people 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years ago had the same questions we do now, you know? How can I help this? What, how can I do from a problem? How can I discover my mission in life? What can I do about this issue? And uh, that information is just as relevant today as it was when Casey gave the reading. Well, I know Hugh is the one who first really started talking about leaky gut syndrome back yeah. in, I think it was like the 30s or something like that. And we're, we're still, you know, coming to our understanding around that now, you know, and, and a lot of his advice then we're starting to, to recognize scientifically, oh, th this was sound advice. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, everything from psoriasis to all kinds of other problems are caused by leaky yeah. gut. And so uh, he was extremely ahead of his time. He also talked about how we have an abdominal brain, where, which is really where all the nerves come together really in our solar plexus and that problems in that area can affect the whole body so he was really ahead of his time and he only went through the eighth grade so a lot of his uh, medical information was new to him he'd wake up from giving a reading and people would tell him what he said or his secretary might read it back to him and his original goal was you know i'll continue to do this if it helps people but if someone gets hurt i'm going to stop and he gave readings for his whole life so yeah. My great uncle uh, was a fan of Edgar Casey all the way back to the beginning. And, yeah. uh, and when I was a teenager in the 80s, he, I was going on a road trip and I was going up the East Coast and he was like, you have to go to the ARE in Virginia Beach. He gave me instructions on what I was supposed to look up and introduced me to Edgar Casey. So started introducing me to him when I was 13 years old. Oh, and wow. When I was 16, I went on that road trip in uh, 1986. That was the first time I went to the ARE. Uh, I was working there then. You could have stopped by and seen me. <laughs> I may have. So. I, started, I started there in 1982 on staff. And, you know, even with uh, when he gave past life information, people about people's past lives, lots of times he'd mentioned something about past history that today has proven true. For example, uh, a number of people had been told they were uh, members of the Essene community during the time of Jesus. And Casey talked about the fact that men and women were equal in the Essene community and they were made up of men and women. And at the time, scholars thought the Essenes were just an offshoot of Judaism and it consisted solely of men. Uh, Casey talked about the records they had kept. He died in 1945. In 1948, they found some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then in the early 1950s, they did excavations at Qumran and found the women bones in the cemetery. So very often, Casey was able to tune into the past and some of the things he said have proven to be true today. Well, one thing I know he didn't spend a lot of time doing was prophesizing the future. Correct. Um, uh, you know, he addressed things, and I think he addressed the future at times, but it, it's different than prophecy. Um, right, and, and, and what I, the reason is, is he generally responded to questions that people asked. Right, so, exactly. So that it, it, nobody asked, well, are we ever going to have a coronavirus? Nobody said, what can you tell us about global health in the future? But for example, during World War, prior to World War II, there, uh, I think it was 1936 or so, there was a uh, young man in his uh, early 30s, I believe, and he asked about, uh, he was a freight, international freight agent, and he asked about the, the outcome of freight on an international scale. And Casey talked about how the plans were being put in place by the Germans first and then the Japanese, and if, unless there was interference from, the, inter, from uh, the divine, the whole world was going to be set on fire by a military outburst. And of course, World War II started a few years later. So he was able to see things if people ask a question that put him in that direction. And like you say, nobody asked about a coronavirus, but he did give maybe half a dozen thematic overviews about what our future will be like. Well, and that's what I'm happy to talk about that. 
And yeah. uh, actually, I'm doing a webinar for ARE on Wednesday night on the same topic. So you want me to talk a little bit about the future in terms of? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Are there any themes or things, even though he didn't yeah. prophesize it, are there things that we can maybe glean from, from him about what's going on right now, where we are? Sure. And I actually wrote a column on this for our magazine the other day. And I think some of these themes seem to be rising based on what's happening with the coronavirus right now. Uh, one of the things he said was that unless uh, the equality of all of humankind was kept in mind, regardless of race, religion, or country of origin, there would be a leveling in society, that uh, the divine was no respecter of persons, regardless of your race or wherever you came from, and that everyone needed to have the same economic and spiritual opportunities, and that if we didn't create that for the world, uh, it would be created for them. So I think he suggested there would be a leveling from those who have very much to those who have very little, so that everyone has the same opportunity. And at least from what I've seen so far, it seems like the coronavirus is is pointing out some of the inequalities around the world and how we really need to address that. Oh, in a very dramatic way, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the good news is that even in spite of the, the challenges you see on TV about what's happening, very often, at least on our local news, they do inspiring stories about how communities are coming together to help with like food kitchens or going around to help those in need. And that really leads to the second point, which Casey suggests that each of us is our brother or sister's keeper. And when people ask him what that meant, you know, who is my brother, my sister, my neighbor, or someone on the other side of the world, and his response was, anyone you find in need, that is your brother or your sister. Uh, I have actually I have a funny story it reminded me of, if you don't mind my telling it. Uh, every, every Christmas, I kind of have this personal, uh, I don't know, whether say it's a motto or a, a process where the week of Christmas, the two weeks before Christmas, I, I pray and I say, God, if there's anybody who needs money, send them to me and I'll try to help them. I mean, that's kind of like my motto for, so, it, you know, sometimes when you see someone at the 7-Eleven or whatever, you avoid them because you don't want to give them money. But for those two weeks, I say, no matter what, if you send somebody, I'm going to give them money. And I had done that at, you know, the Walmart and the 7-Eleven and various things. And I walk into the bank, my wife and son like to go out for a fancy dinner the week of Christmas. And it's, you know, more than we usually spend. And so I was writing a check for $200 to uh, have that and money I would need for the rest of the week. And I'm staying in line and two aisles over, there's a young guy maybe in his twenties and he's at the teller and the teller says, can I help you? And he says, I don't know what I'm gonna do this week. I don't have enough money for rent. And I had just five minutes before said, God, if there's anyone who needs money just send it my way. And he was talking to the teller. So I thought in my head, well, Am I supposed to give this $200 to him? And I said, okay, God, if you really want me to give it to him, I need to have a clearer sign. And so I started to leave and turned around. And as soon as I passed him, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do this week. I don't have enough money for rent. And I followed out to the parking lot. I said, okay, I think this is for you. And I gave it to him. Then I had to go charge the dinner. But I think that we really need to take serious the fact that uh, Casey would say that who is the representative of the divine and the earth? And it's each one of us. And that the God will work through us if we give God a chance. And so, you know, there's the, the first, Casey gave a series of 24 lessons in personal spirituality. And the first one is about cooperating with God, learning how to work with the divine so the divine can work through you. So that, that's about being our brothers and sisters keeper. Uh, the third thing he said was that eventually the spirit of rebellion will be forbidden from incarnating in the earth. And 
basically what that means, the spirit of rebellion is really selfishness. And a good example of selfishness is, you know, somebody who says, you know, my rights are, are, are more than people's rights around me. And I see that every time I go to the store and someone refuses to wear a mask. I mean, that, that is selfish. And Casey suggested that selfishness will be forbidden at some point. And if anyone cannot not be selfish, they will not be allowed to incarnate in the earth for a thousand years, a thousand years. And that that will enable the rest of humankind to really do a, a progressive forward movement in our own spiritual growth. And then after that, the ban is list, lifted. So he said, we'll have an age where rebelliousness can't be in the earth. That's gonna to lead to an age of purity. Uh, he said, and eventually it will be called the age of the lily. And when people ask him, well, when does this start? He said, it starts during the age of Aquarius. And I did some uh, Googling when I, you know, not too far back. And unfortunately, no one exactly knows when the age of Aquarius begins. They think it's somewhere between the 20th and the 24th century. So probably not in our lifetime, but in the next couple hundred years. Yeah, there's been some implication that it, like around the 90s, we started to, you know, the shift. like the pre-period of it, right? And that yeah. it's actually, you know, because we're dealing with the, you know, this massive space, right? That alignment yeah. is not something that, that we can exact very well from our tiny little Earth perspective. So, um, so yeah, it, it's about the age of Aquarius is eventually going to be known as the age of, pure, of purity. And so I think at some point, our ancestors will look back and think, you know, it started right about maybe in the 90s or whenever. But that's another thing he said. Uh, he also talked about globalization in terms of understanding that whatever happens on one side of the world affects the other. Now with the virus, we can absolutely see that's the case. Uh, when our grandparents were alive, I think things happened on the other side of the world all the time that nobody ever heard about. Now, whatever happens, we hear about it instantly. So I think globalization in terms of the fact that we're all connected is something that truly the age of the internet has brought to the forefront. And then the sixth thing he said about the future was in time, every individual in the earth will have a very uh, solid awareness of their personal relationship with the divine. So that's really the overview. So you, there's no specifics like in this date, this is going to happen. It's more thematic overviews of where we're headed as a, as a human family. They're important uh, thematic, uh, you know, things that he's addressed. I want to, I actually want to, ask you some questions more specifically, like practical for people right now. To, to okay, sure. But before I go there, I, I can't help but uh, in listening to you go, oh, wait a second. So for a thousand years, no rebellion. Uh, and, and, and what I heard is, is two things in that. For a thousand years, you wouldn't be, be allowed to embody on earth. And so uh, if, you, if that's the state you're coming from, that state of selfishness, as you said. So one, that really implies that coming into body and coming to earth is something that's a gift and, and something that's sacred and special that, that should be thought of and honored that way. Because if you're saying that that's being withheld from you, the idea is that from the selfish is that this is something that's actually desirable and that the soul wants to do. Uh, so I want to ask you about that. And then before you answer that, the second was, um, so, and what I also heard you implying in that, which I, I sort of basically just alluded to is you're saying that actually from the divine, that that's not going to be allowed to be on earth as far as his prediction. Uh, right. The, 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 somehow the divine intervention is kind of to help us, help us make the, the movement forward. Uh, in terms of our individual and collective purpose, somehow our purpose is to bring divinity into the earth, a spirit into the earth, to manifest our higher self, our highest self in the earth. And that's really why we're here. And in fact, Casey suggested 
and I had heard this as an anecdotal story for years, and I actually asked uh, someone about it, but he had suggested, and it's gonna sound a little far-fetched, but he suggested that every time a child is born, the angels sing, because the Christ consciousness has the opportunity once again to be made manifest in the earth. And so there was a, a doctor named Gladys McGarry who basically delivered babies for 40, 50 years, and eventually had the opportunity to ask her, have you ever heard, in all the years you've delivered babies, have you ever heard the angels sing? And she paused for a moment to think about whether or not she should answer, I think. And she looked me right in the eyes and she said, yes, many times. And so I think that our purpose here is not to get out of the earth. It's not to uh, wait just for heaven and then everything will be okay. Our, our goal is to somehow manifest our highest self, our best self, our divine self in the earth and thereby transform it and let it become all that it was meant to be. And we're really not done doing with that process until the whole world has become transformed. So I think that's why we're ultimately here, to bring divinity into the third dimension. So with COVID-19 going on right now, uh, do you think that, you know, obviously then, I mean, I think it's even implied in what you were saying that this is actually a part of our awakening and our awareness, our global yeah. realization, our interconnect, our, uh, raising our awareness around our interconnectedness, raising the awareness around um, the, uh, the disparities, right? Uh, yeah. uh, between cultures, between people. Um, so there's a lot of that. What about individually? You know, what can we do and, and what, maybe what are some of the things that, uh, that we can either learn or work on through COVID-19? You know, people are dealing with their anxiety, they're dealing with their, the unknown and their jobs and their health fears. You know, can, you know, you can take any one piece of that, but can we say from, from the perspectives of, of the teachings that you work with, you know, what are some suggestions you might make with people at this time? So let me give a quick answer and then a longer answer. Uh, 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 if people go to edgarcasey.org, E-D-G-A-R-C-A-Y-C-E.org, uh, halfway down the page, we have a thing called Crisis Resources. And one of the things that's there is there's a book called Edgar Casey on Overcoming Fear and Anxiety that we're giving away to people digitally. There's also a lot of resources about how you can work with your health. There's resources in terms of meditations to become centered, things like that, all for free. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing, I think the Casey material suggests, uh, let me use an example of a, uh, of a relative, no names that I have a relative who is constantly frustrated with the fact that the Middle East is always in turmoil. And whenever this individual has the opportunity, will complain about it. And yet this very same individual has not spoken to a family member for about five years. Now, this person, if, if told, you know, you can help out the Middle East, they might say, okay, I'd love to do that. But if they're told, you know, what you really need to do in order to help out the Middle East is solve this problem with your family member, they would think it was BS. So I think one of the things we can do is we can look around at our own life to people who are either worse off than we are or more afraid than we are, or someone we haven't spoken to for a while, and reach out to that person. Casey would say that one of the things we can do when we're worried or concerned or uh, don't really know what to do next in our life is look around at the people in our life that need to be, have someone be of service to them. That's one thing we can do. Uh, another thing we can do is he suggested that, you know, the foods we eat have a great deal to do with the health of our physical bodies. And, you know, they've just the other night on, uh, I forget which doctor it was, it wasn't Dr. Fauci, but he was talking about one of the reasons Americans are catching this virus so much more quickly than other countries is because of our poor diet. And that uh, Casey would say that, you know, if you every day, if every day you eat it, uh, at least one meal that has 
lettuce and carrots and celery in it, you will boost your uh, body's immune system and it's much more difficult for your body to catch a virus. So in fact, he recommends that in many readings, carrots, celery, and lettuce, we can do it for our health. Another thing you can do is you can keep your body more alkaline, which is one of the things I did for allergies. And if your body's alkaline, it doesn't have that much of a chance to become a culture medium for a health problem. And one of the products he recommends is called glycothymoline, which is G-L-Y-C-O-T-H-Y-M-O-L-I-N-E. And if you Google glycothymoline, you can buy it. It's sold as a mouthwash, but just maybe four or six drops in water every morning helps to alkaline your system. I rarely get colds, knock on wood. And it's partly because I take glycothymoline all the time. He would also recommend meditation. I mean, we have this, uh, and I include myself in this, we get so caught up in the things that are going on. You know, the, the coronavirus really wrecked havoc on ARE and all of our programs. Most of our revenues that are generated to support all the work we do are from face-to-face -face conferences. Well, if you have a coronavirus, you, you don't have face-to-face -face conferences. So we've had to pivot, and there's been a lot of anxiety about that. But I think that if, if we continue to meditate, we continue to work with mindfulness, uh, then our best self can come out and we can make the best decisions that we need to make at any given time. So all those kinds of things. Well, one of your books, uh, Vibrations, Spirit in Motion, uh, it sort of implies to me, I haven't read it, but I just was looking at the titles today. Uh, I read some of your books, but not this one. But maybe as you were talking, thinking, you know, besides diet and strengthening the body, you know, uh, do you think that there's a play in here in being a vibrational match with a virus as opposed to being a vibrational match with, with divine or with spirit or with health and wellness, you know? Well, I, I think that your vibration, the higher your vibration, the harder it would be to get sick. Yep. And, and, I, and I don't want to discount the fact that, you know, sometimes people at a soul level take on an opportunity of some kind, uh, even if they are very advanced because maybe another family member need, has something to learn or, you know, for whatever reason. So we, I don't want to negate the fact that sometimes people choose what we would consider a challenge or a bad something in order for other people to learn a lesson. But that said, Casey suggested that as we work with spiritual growth, we raise our vibration and that a vib the vibration of a person attracts other people and other activities like you've suggested or other even health issues to them based on their own vibration. And uh, it's almost like the, the more you think about something, the harder it is not to think about it. So you wake up and you think to myself, you know, today I'd like to have a piece of chocolate. And then while you're brushing your teeth, you think, you know, I, I really need a piece of chocolate. And then driving to work, you think, I, I'm going to kill for a piece of chocolate. And the more you think about something, the more it becomes a part of your energy system. And that's really how vibration works. So the more you're thinking about being loving to other people or caring, the more that becomes a part of who you are. Uh, conversely, the more you think about how angry you are about something or how someone cuts you off in traffic and then everything else that ever irritated you comes to mind, that, that becomes a part of your vibration. So Casey suggested that one of our goals in the earth is to raise our vibration and become the very best that we can be in all, all different areas of our life. And the book Vibration talks about some of the things we can do with various stones, uh, various chanting, things like that to help raise our, raise our vibration. And just becoming more grounded, centered, and mindful will absolutely help, uh, will help in that process. More conscious of our breath, more conscious of our well-being overall. And, um, and certain kinds of music can help that too. You know, when you're listening to music, that can be very helpful. Right. Uh, so I want to shift now for a moment to a subject that I think uh, 
you have a, no a lot of knowledge about, which is dreams. Yes. Uh, and I am, I'm, I'm quite curious, first of all, I know in my work, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about their dreams and, and the, the, the powerful, vivid uh, dreams that they've been having specifically during this time. So number one, I'm curious, have you heard some of that yourself or had any of that experience of more vivid dreams or, or particular types of dreams uh, since this COVID thing has started? Yes, and, and interestingly enough, but before the COVID thing happened, when I'd give a dream talk, which I've talked about all the time, uh, lots of times people would say, well, why can't I remember my dreams? And I'd say, you've gotten into the routine of not remembering. And so what you need to do is change your routine. One of the easiest ways to remember dreams is to change your routine. And what the virus has done, it has changed all of our routines in some way. And so that's one of the reasons people are remembering their dreams, because it has totally changed our routines. The other reason is Casey suggested that nothing of significance ever happens to us without it first being foreshadowed in a dream. So I think lots of people had, let's call them psychic dreams or some kind of mini awarenesses that something was gonna happen. And I'll tell you a dream I had. Uh, in January, I had this very uh, prominent dream that I was in the Edgar Casey, old Edgar Casey Hospital building. It's all been remodeled in the last five years. Our spy, everything's been upgraded. But this was before the remodel. And in, in the, I'm in the dream. I'm in Hewlin Casey's office, who was Edgar Casey's eldest son. Mm -hmm. He's been deceased since 1982, but he was still alive. He was our chairman of the board. And somehow someone had spilled something outside of Hewlin's office, and I was on my hands and knees cleaning it up. And someone came by and said, hey, Kevin, are you thinking about retiring from ARE? I'm, I'm 62. I'm not thinking about retiring, but they asked me that in the dream. And I looked up at this person and I looked up at Hulin and I said, I can't think about doing anything right now. I have to clean up this mess that's about to happen before all the crowds start coming here. And that was the end of the dream. So I woke up thinking, thinking, well, what's going to happen to ARE that there's this big mess I have to help clean up? And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe we're going to have a challenge with finances or something. And sure enough, uh, 10 weeks later, we get the coronavirus. So we're in the midst now right now of cleaning up that mess. But I think that was little, a, a precognitive dream, so to speak, on some kind of mess that was coming our way that needed to be cleaned up. So, so when you had that dream, did you, did you uh, first of all, did you, I'm curious, did you write it down? And yes. Second, you did, okay. And, uh, and uh, was it resourceful for you? Did it cause you fear? Like, how did you respond to having that dream? Well, once I figured out what it was about, and I really think it was about the coronavirus, it kind right. of gave me comfort because it wasn't like, oh my God, this is doom and gloom, we're headed for disaster. It was more like, okay, here is something we're gonna to have to clean up. And the, the organization has done okay, and our members have been very helpful in terms of contributions and pivoting, helping us pivot to online programs and various things. So it was more of a uh, supportive kind of a dream. In fact, Casey said lots of times when dreams like that happened, it's so that we can be forewarned and forearmed. And I think that dream really gave me comfort that, okay, we're going to get through, through this okay. It's just a matter of cleanup. But what about the 10 weeks till you found out? Well, when I found out, you know, what was happening with the coronavirus, I, there was immediate panic at first. I thought, oh my God. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I'm asking you, what about the weeks prior, from the time of the dream, tell the corona, till you heard about corona? in that time did you find that dream did you for you was it um reassuring or a sense of like you were being guided into something or did it give you more angst did it did it have an impact on you emotionally one way or the other during that time of the, the, the impact was honestly it's meant more now since it happened than before but in between then and the actual coronavirus there was a a positive feeling like there's a 
there's a purposefulness in whatever I'm supposed to be doing coming up here. It's, it's destined, it's purposeful, uh, I'm in the right place, I just need to follow through on it, whatever that is. I asked you for that reason. That's, I think that's great information because I do think a lot of people, when they have dreams that are, are like that, you know, it's scary. And a lot of people get stuck in the part of like, oh my God, I'm going to have to handle something bad. And one of the things I try to relay to them is, you know, if that dream is coming in advance, it's at some level, spirit is letting you know, you've got this. Like You've got this and to help you be prepared. Yeah. And yeah. It is, it is very reassuring. It is very reassuring. Yeah. And of course, like you said, more so once it became clear what it was that like, oh, I've, I've got a job to do here. Let me do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are you guys resourcing dreams in any way? And I don't, I don't know if you do this at the ARE in a, in a formal way, but whether formal or informal, are you guys resourcing dreams with respect to what's happening right now and, and maybe how we can respond to it, how to handle it, uh, whether or not the information coming out is, is good because there's a lot of mixed information, of course, around this. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious if you could sort of talk about that a little bit for us. Sure. There, there's a couple of ways. Both are somewhat informal. One of the things, we have a dream Facebook group that people go to and just share their dreams. And then there's an audience of back and forth about, you know, what it might mean, how it might be helpful, whatever. That's one way we do it. Another way is I often collect dreams. People send them to me all the time. Uh, what the dream and what they might think it meant, or they send it, they're not sure what it means. And then later on, I use it in an article, changing the names to protect, protect the innocent or anything. But we're not collecting dreams of prophecy, for, for example, and then seeing what happens later. It's just more informal than that. Yeah, I think uh, the reason why I ask, I think a lot of people are having very, and it's not necessarily all about prophecy, it's, it's a lot of interesting dreams about um, what's real, what's not real, about the information or how we need to respond to it in some way. You know, both right. meaning as a culture, culturally, right, energetically and what we need to respond, but also in our bodies and in our health. And, uh, and I'm wondering, by the way, whether from dreams or not, uh, you know, are there other, are there very specific recommendations coming out of the ARE as around uh, taking care of your health during this time? I mean, I know what you said as far as- Yeah, if, if, if you go to the crisis resource page, there's a number of things people can do, including diet, meditation, mindfulness, chiropractic adjustment, especially now that some of the doctor's offices are back, open back up, those kinds of things. Anything about dreams, about people working with their own dreams? Oh, yeah. We're working with your dreams of even simple things like drinking enough water, help clean your system, uh, uh, you know, staying away from uh, too much alcohol, too many mind-altering things. You know, occasional glass of wine, that's fine, but you don't want to get over drinking every night because you're upset about the coronavirus. I, I think that just doesn't help. So. And then, uh, what about reincarnation and what's happening? You know, uh, I, I'm really curious. Um, you guys do regression work over there. We and, do. We, uh, we do past life regressions. We do uh, teach people about learning about their past lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, has there been reference to, from past lives to what's going on right now? And are, like, are the souls that are here right now or certain souls here right now specifically around for what's happening with COVID-19? Is this, you know, has this been a specific alignment in, uh, in the karmic journey uh, that you guys are hearing? I'm just... Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, what I can say is from a personal perspective, I've seen some uh, pictures from the 1918 coronavirus pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, not corona, uh, flu, a Spanish flu. And I swear to you, some of the characters who were prominent during that look similar to some of the characters who are prominent in the coronavirus. So I don't want to, I don't want to, match two people and say okay that definitely is that person reincarnated but i think that some of those characters are back 
And I think hopefully the ones that got us through last time are back to help get us through this time. But other than that, I have not had lots of people say, you know, I remember dying during the Spanish flu and I'm back to this time make it through. Uh, but I do think that that does happen. Do you think that it's triggering certain people that like maybe in a, in a past lifetime have been through a, either a pandemic or another sort of uh, global crisis that they may have experienced in another lifetime from whatever century? Uh, yeah. Maybe it's triggering some of those kind of things coming up in people right now. Do you think that's a part of some of it? it especially in terms of their fears and anxiety. So that if you lived through, for example, the Middle Ages and uh, the, the plague, uh, and perhaps you died or a family member died, I think that you might have uh, more than a normal sense of fear of what's going on right now with the coronavirus because those old memories are being awakened. So one of the things that past lives do is they make predispose us to our old fears and concerns that were awakened in the past and they come to the forefront in the present. And so sometimes we need to reassure ourselves, you know, that was then, this is now, and it's not necessarily going to turn out the same way. So I do think people's fears and anxieties are being prompted by that. And I think that's one reason we've actually given away thousands of copies of that book, Agri on Overcoming Fear and Anxiety. And one of the items in there is dealing with past life memories that are very often subconscious. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then, uh, you know, one of the other things that Edgar Casey talked a lot about, uh, and he said that he was, uh, in his readings, he was accessing the Akashic records. Uh, yeah. and, and so two things. One, of course, could you talk a little bit about the Akashic records so people know what we're talking about? Yes. But also, my, my question is, uh, my follow-up question to that would be, um, have you, has the area, or do you have different either psychics or people working right now that are accessing the Akashic records around what's going on again, around this pandemic and around sure. happening? So those are my two questions I'll throw So Edgar Casey said that the source of his information was the Akashic records, which is really, the, the word Akasha comes from the Sanskrit words, word meaning uh, Akasha, which is boundless space. And so basically it's, it's, in today's modern parlance, it would be the universe's supercomputer system. It keeps track of every thought, every word, every deed for every soul that has ever incarnated in the earth. And somehow Casey was able to tap into that. Uh, that said, I have become more and more convinced that all of us tap into the Akashic Records all the time. We just don't know that that's what we're doing. And it happens when we meet someone before the very first time and we don't like that person, or we meet someone for the very first time and we have this overwhelming sense of love and admiration for the person. And where does that come from? We pick up our relationships with each other exactly where we left them off. And then to go a step further, because the Akashic Records contain the source of all information, anytime anyone does anything psychic or intuitive, they're actually tapping into the Akashic Records even if they don't know that that's what they're doing because there is no other source of information ultimately. So all of us are wired into the Akashic Records. Uh, very often we, we pick up on our future from the Akashic Records in the dream state. Uh, it happens like this for most of us. Most of us don't remember our dreams. We don't keep track of our dreams. We go to sleep. All of us dream every night, actually, but we just don't know that that's what we're doing. The next day we go somewhere and we're having a conversation with someone and we think, wait a minute, I've already had this conversation. Or we're driving somewhere we haven't been. And we think, wait a minute, this looks familiar. I've already been here. And we have an experience we call deja vu. Most deja vu experiences are actually fragmentary dream recall. We dreamed about whatever it was the night before, but we're not writing down our dreams, so we don't remember that we dreamed about it. But there's a fragment remembery kind of feeling that, wait a minute, this is something I've already done. It's because we dreamed about it. 
So we're constantly picking up on the Akashic records of our future. We're constantly picking up on the Akashic records in terms of our relationships with one another. And we're constantly picking up on the Akashic records in terms of our own likes, dislikes, frustrations, animosities. You know, we take all of our feelings with us like luggage and from one incarnation to another. And sometimes we're carrying around top of the line Samsonite and sometimes we're carrying around old paper sacks that we need to get rid of because our biases, our angers, our loves, our talents, we take them with us. And they all become energized by similar experiences in the present. And in fact, Casey suggested that we actually dream about past lives, not to convince us of reincarnation, but what happens is, well, let me give a modern ex example. Lots of times when I'm giving a dream talk, adults in their 40s, 50s, or older will tell me, you know, I dreamed about being back in high school and I was in an English class and the teacher was passing out a test that day. Uh, what does that mean? Well, what happens is right now the person doesn't feel prepared for something. So in the sleep state, the mind looks for a period in the soul's history when they didn't feel prepared, like a test being passed out at school. And you have that memory because that, that memory is to remind you the same thing's happening again. You don't feel prepared. In the present, we're about to have a similar experience or we meet a relationship we had in the past. And so the soul mind looks for a period in our past when the same thing happened. When we dream about a past life to bring to our remembrance, you know, you're going to have this relationship again or this experience is about to happen again just to get us forearmed for what's about to happen. So all those are examples of picking up on the Akashic records in the present. We just don't know that that's what we're doing. It's really a database of information of everything that we've ever experienced. So you would say dream self connected to the soul self, can, which has the ability to resource the Akashic records. Akashic records. And yeah, I, I would even go a step further and say our higher mind, which is the superconscious mind, from Casey's terminology, is actually right. our individual computer link to the Akashic records. And people pick up on each other all the time. It, it works as simple as you're thinking about somebody in the phone rings. Now, I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about making a doctor's appointment for something minor. And the doctor's office called me to see if I wanted to make an appointment. And when I told the girl, I was just thinking about it. She thought I was making it up, but I was not making it. I mean, just five seconds later, the phone rang. So we pick up on people all the time like that. But I'm asking, are you thinking, are you saying that uh, when we're dreaming, we're actually accessing it even more or more clearly as far as resourcing past lives and saying? Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so how do we consciously direct that right now? Like with what we have going on, I mean, you know, if you're sitting here and going, you know, I've, I've lost my job and I have to find work, or, you know, you're dealing with uh, being sick or your fear of being sick, whatever the case may be, how do we actually resource our dream to begin having that conversation with our dream mind yep. uh, for and, and to resource it uh, both, uh, whether that's in looking at past lives, looking at in how to proceed forward, you know, how, what are some of the recommendations you can make for people? One of the things I have become very fond of is writing out a question, whatever the question is, tell me about my next job or what can I do about my health or what can you tell me about this? Write out that question, read it before going to bed several times, go to sleep and wake up and then write down whatever you remember. And very often we will dream on the answer. And I have done that over and over and over again. That's really how I first got started with dreams. And it is amazing. It's an amazing resource. Uh, and if you have a hard time remembering a dream, even after trying it, what I recommend doing is if you have a life partner or a spouse or a kid or a friend, you each write out a question and you trade questions because sometimes we feel more uh, responsible for helping someone else than we do for ourselves. But I have heard hundreds of examples of people trying that, just writing out a question and they get insights into whatever that question is from their higher self. 
But part of the reason, and this is science, this isn't Edgar Casey. Science has proven that of the 100% of the stimulus coming to you at any moment, the conscious mind filters out more than 95%. Right. And even though that sounds high, you don't feel the glasses on your nose or your seat on your chair or the intensity of the light or the sound of the air conditioning system or your feet on the floor. You don't feel any of those things because the conscious mind decides irrelevant and sets it aside. But it's not lost, it's set in the subconscious. And actually, that's why many people can remember more. If they were at a crime scene and they're hypnotized, they remember more under hypnosis than they're aware of consciously. Because all that goes into your subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind becomes awake when we sleep. And so all the little things we noticed at one level, uh, the body language, the conversations at a distance, all that data comes to the forefront. And we're actually much wiser asleep than we are when we are awake. So do you think that one of the, the things that Edgar Casey had a gift with was being able to fall into a sleep state while still remaining conscious enough to communicate with those who are around him outside? I think so. He, he did have, he put himself to sleep every time he gave a reading. And although he did not uh, remain conscious of the reading while he was asleep, he did become more and more psychic in the waking state as time passed. I think the more you work with your intuition, as you are probably well aware, the more often you have psychic experiences because, I mean, we're wired for intuition. We're wired for guidance. The universe wants us to succeed. The universe wants divinity to come into the earth. Uh, our job is to somehow transform this planet. And, you know, you look around, some days you get really depressed. Well, we're not doing a very good job. But I think that if you look at the history of the world, there has been progress in terms of transforming human consciousness. I am... Um, uh totally agree first off <laughs> um i uh i also want to ask on this well first of all i want to go back to when you said about writing down the question and reading it before you go to bed yeah. for somebody who's not remembering their dreams wouldn't you say that it's a good idea to do that repetitively for over, over, and over and over and over again yeah and the same you, question for a while let, let me if you mind i'll tell you my first story with this it's, it's sure. kind of an interesting story so i got involved in an edgar casey study group when i was about 18 years old and everyone in the group was older than I. They were in their 40s and 50s for the most part. And I always felt like I was catching up because they'd been involved much longer than I had. And every six months, this group did something really unique was they would decide, there was a group of about 14 people. They would decide on a question. We were all going to dream on the same question. Uh, and our study group met on like Monday or Tuesday night. And then next week, we'd come back with the dream. And so the question the group decided on one week was, what do I need to work on spiritually? And that was the question. And just like I just described that we were supposed to read the question and go to bed. Well, that first night I read my question over again and I, and I was kind of worried that I'd come back the next week and be the only one without a dream. So the next morning when I woke up and I didn't remember my dream, I got a little performance anxiety. All right, so I wrote down my question again the second night, read it over and over again, tucked it in a square of my shorts to have it with me all night. What do I need to work on spiritually? This is the dream I had. I dreamed that I was in Egypt and I was walking out of the Great Pyramid and I had not been to Egypt at that point but I was on an ARE tour in the dream, and we do do tours all over the world, and I was with 50 other ARE people. And just as I walked out of the Great Pyramid, somebody in the group really loud yelled, uh, by the way, Jesus taught Kevin some dance steps, and Kevin wants to show them to you now. And I was really shocked because I didn't know anything about dancing, and I didn't know anything about meeting Jesus, but all these people start sitting down in front of me to watch this performance of some kind. And as they're sitting, I think, well, you know, I'm a team player. I'll come up with something. And uh, finally, somebody who I didn't really like in ARE sat down in front of me and excuse the language, but I thought to myself, what an ass as this person sat down. 
And as soon as I thought that, I looked out over the desert and there was Jesus standing there. And he thought back what I had just thought. And his next thought was, more than anything else, you need to work on your thoughts. Well, I was blown away. I wrote out the question, what do I need to work on spiritually? And from the big guy himself, I got work on your thoughts. So from that time on, I started working with dreams. And then I, later on, I found out I had an experience where I was actually a dream interpreter in, in the past. And that's why it came easy to me after I started working with it. But I became con convinced that if you write out a question and really sincerely want help, you can get answers from your dreams very easily. Yeah. I like, I actually write letters to my dreaming self. I yep. actually literally write dear dreaming self and yep. I'll write a letter and I sign it, love Asa and I date it. And, uh, and I, I make a commitment that, uh, if I get the letter back, which means the dream, then I will, you know, I'll, I'll document that dream into the physical realm and write another letter tomorrow night. And so I built a whole relationship with my dreams that way. Um, you know, since you talked about being a dream interpreter, actually somebody had posted a question here that I think it's a great point to ask you then, which is, uh, how do you confirm the interpretation given to dreams? You know, so it, I mean, part of it has to do with experience. I, I mean, you can tell in, in if she's asking if some if a friend of hers gave her the interpretation and she wants to know whether if it's right. My feeling is that if a dream interpretation inspires you to do something, uh, get on the next step with your life, empowers you somehow to do something about whatever issue you're working with, it's probably a, a, a a positive interpretation. If it instead makes you depressed and unhappy and fearful, then I might question it. Because I think your higher self is constantly trying to help you succeed and gives you guidance along the way. You can always ask for a follow-up dream. You know, is that really, if I've interpreted it right. What I wouldn't do is that you ask for a question and you get an answer and you don't like the answer. So you keep asking it in different ways, hoping for a different answer. I, I wouldn't waste my time doing that. But well, that's the same for like people who get the tarot cards and they start, yeah. you know, they yeah, I want to do it. Let's do it again. They, yeah. the card, but they keep crossing <laughs> the cards till they get the answer they want, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I always feel like that's a little bit like antagonizing your friend or your mother or somebody until they tell you the answer that you want. It doesn't necessarily. Or, or, or your higher self. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so what do you think of, of dream interpretation books that sort of um, that lists uh, the meanings behind like specific symbol? Like if you're flying, it means this. If your teeth fall out, it means this. You know, uh, how do you feel about the, that type of dream interpretation? Well, it, it really depends on the book. So, I, I mean, I, I wrote a book called Dream Images and Symbols that has 10,000 interpretations in it. And so wow. basically, if you if you go to a dream dictionary and you look up a symbol and it only has one one answer, then I'm not really happy about it. But like, for example, if you turn to a, a, a mountain, if you look at a mountain in my book, it could be a great, it could be an opportunity, it could be something, an obstacle, it could be something in the future. A mountain in Japan means a big high accomplishment. So all symbols generally have more than one meaning. It's not just one meaning. And that what you want to do is you, you, you use these meanings as possible meanings and, uh, go from there. But I, I think the dream symbol dictionaries can be helpful. The most helpful dream dictionary I've ever come across is actually an unabridged dictionary, which is the dictionaries that are this fat. If, so if you look up fish, for example, it'll say, you know, something's fishy can be a symbol for Christianity, can be a dietary food, could be the sub related to things underwater, the subconscious. So I think there are symbol dictionaries that can be helpful, but I'm not sure they're the be all and end all because we all have personal symbols that take precedence over everything else. Uh, 
great because I mean, really, I, I think those dream dictionaries, especially if it's a good one, and I, I agree with you, if it's one de definition, it's it's a little too, this is what it is, right? It's, yeah. it's a little literal as opposed to taking into account that uh, how we experience something may have a lot to do with why we're dreaming that symbol. So yeah. I think dream dictionaries are really good for helping to lead us maybe and have a little bit of awareness on what it could be. But I think ultimately, you know, it's learning to listen to what's within us. To, to I, I, this, this is not the exact wording, but I, re I remember being in a local New Age shop, not not ARE, and saw a dream book I'd never seen. And I looked, pulled it out, and somehow I turned to either waterfront or dock. And the the old, and I'm not making this up. It was something as straightforward as a woman who dreams of a dock will marry a sailor. And I thought, oh my god! <laughs> and I put the book back. I mean, that was definitely not. Uh, even a stretch of imagination, it doesn't mean that. But anyway. <laughs> I love that. Uh, somebody asked about uh, anxiety dreams. Any comment on anxiety dreams? Oh, yeah. I, I think anxiety dreams are often the things that are going on in our lives that we don't want to face or we don't know how to face. So we have an anxiety dream. And, you know, there's things that sometimes we, we are involved in some we don't know how to communicate with another person. That's sometimes why anxiety dreams happen. Or we know we need to do something like change our job, but we're afraid to do it, we don't know how. So I think anxiety dreams occur because part of us are aware that we need to do something, but we don't really know how to do it. And so I think one of the ways to get past that is to get guidance, either from your dreams or from a friend or from a counselor. You know, I have this issue, I'm not really sure how to address it and go from there. But that's really usually why we have anxiety dreams. Yeah, the other thing I, I like to recommend, I think sometimes our unconscious works through stuff that we just don't feel capable of working through when we're conscious. You know, yeah. whether we're too busy, preoccupied, whether it's an issue with somebody else or just our inability to handle and fix COVID-19, let's say, yeah, you know, absolutely. world, the fact that that's causing anxiety. And so, you know, our dreams will sometimes have anxiety dreams, which I think is our unconscious doing its best to just work through that for us. And one of the things I recommend to people, because what happens a lot with anxiety dreams is that you'll wake up and, and uh, after and it doesn't feel good because you just had an anxiety dream and so it's easy to get re-triggered into more anxiety but the opportunity is actually to wake up and say thank you unconscious mind thank you dreaming self for for helping me with this and for working that out and you know and then to actually take a moment to consciously tune into where you want to be in this day you know and Absolutely. where you and really and let yourself know that on some level your unconscious was lifting that off of you. You happen to become aware of what was happening in the process, but but it was actually lifting this off of you and giving you an opportunity to breathe a little easier. You, you make such a great point because we've all had the experience where we're anxious, we go to bed, we're unhappy, we're unsettled, and we wake up the next day feeling fine. And what has happened is that our dreams have made, made sense out of whatever's going on in our life. Casey would say they've contrasted and correlated the events of the day. And so there's been a resolution, at least in the dream state, and we wake up feeling better. And it, that's why it's so much better to remember what your dreams are and you can get a handle on what that resolution is. Because the dreaming process does help us solve problems and make us feel better about whatever's going on in our life. Yeah. So I have another question here that somebody just posted, which is how can we get rid of COVID-19 and will a vaccine actually help? Uh, I don't know if you have an answer to that or not, but I'm gonna to toss it your way. Well, I, I mean, I guess my answer would be, and this is not psychic, this is just my intellect in terms of what Casey had to say. I think that if the sooner we can change our business as usual approach, that is in terms of we are responsible for one another, we have to worry about people who don't have the same economic uh, opportunities that we have, we have to worry about, I mean, when the government's talking about 
a uh, tax break on investments versus helping people who are out of a job, I mean, that's, that's a, a, an arrow going in the wrong direction. So I think as, soon, as long as we learn our lesson and realize our responsibility toward one another and that we are our brother's keeper, the, the greater our chance that we can get past this coronavirus and get on with our lives. If we don't learn that lesson, we're going to have a different challenge that comes just down the pike. So Casey would say, our destiny is set. Our destiny is we're responsible for one another. We're supposed to bring spirit into the earth. There's going to be a leveling. We're our brother's sister's keeper. The spirit of rebellion has got to stop. As long as we can do things thematically along those lines, we're moving in the right direction. If we don't, then we're going to have, you know, trade war with China. We're going to have, I mean, there are all kinds of things that could upset the apple cart again, because we're not here to make money. We're not here to somehow amass a fortune. We're not here to somehow uh, gain power or anything. It's somehow we're here to become a, a, a spiritual entity in the earth. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. So what I'm hearing in all of this is whether it's a virus uh, or any other manifestation, uh, these are manifestations of our collective imbalance. And what you're saying is that, you know, besides an, uh, uh, however we handle it, whether we handle it with a vaccine, whether this was, you know, created in a laboratory, man-made, or it was released by accident from a laboratory doing research on bats or, you know, whatever, however it got out there, you're saying this is a collective manifestation of the imbalance in the world. And our job is to rebalance or reconnect to those, those things in order to heal ourselves. And that that's what really matters. That's the perspective you're giving. That that's correct? what really matters. And so uh, I would say that, that our destiny is set. How we get there is a matter of free will. We can either decide to do it because we want to help one another, or we're going to do it because we have no other choice, but we have to work together to solve this problem. So we, our destiny is set. Right, but wait. But when you say our destiny is set, you're not saying that COVID-19 being here is our destiny set. You're saying our destiny is set as far as where these larger ideals and where we're supposed to go. And then right. these are manifestations along the way of getting there, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're talking about destiny and its larger scope of like the purpose of humanity, according to yeah. Edgar Casey and the, what the messages that he received um, uh, and our purpose and, and, and where we're supposed to be going in the earth or in the future for humanity and the world. Absolutely. You know, I, I, years ago, I did this is actually before 2012. I did a video where I talked about uh, one of the thematic things in the case of material being that we were headed for one one world, that one world eventually would be a cooperative world. And there were actually little hate comments on that YouTube video upset that the United States was going to be over everybody. So I think there's still a lot of antagonism to, OK, we're OK with everyone being equal as long as we're more equal than everybody else. So <laughs> that's, that's not our destiny. We're, we're going to work together one way or another. Yeah, I do think uh, patriots are going to have a difficult time for whatever country they're a patriot to. You know, yeah. So, uh, so when someone asked during World War II, when someone asked Edgar Casey about nationalism in terms of how, how do we deal with nationalism, his response was put no ism over the love of God and the love of humankind. No ism over the love of God and the love of humankind. Okay, well, listen, I have one more question here, and then I'm gonna, I wanna talk about a couple of things before we wrap up today. But uh, somebody put in here, are there forces trying to stop divinity from coming into the universe? I, I think the spirit of rebellion that we all possess is trying to, to do that in some respect. Casey, uh, in my book on Edgar Casey on angels and the angelic forces, he makes it really clear that there's no such thing as a, a devil in terms of what some of us were brought up with. There's a spirit of rebellion 
And as soon as humankind started choosing apart from the divinity and created this rebellion, a group of angels said, you know what, we'll help usher in humankind along this path of rebellion. But it's humans that created evil, not devils that caused humans to choose evil. So I don't think there's a higher negative energy up there other than that we created to do rebellious things. So a lot of responsibility on, on humanity and how we, uh, right, and how we deal with how this, absolutely. Cultivate. Well, also how we cultivate uh, 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 life on earth, is yeah. what you're, uh, as far as what's manifesting through us. Absolutely. What, about, what about the other life forms, animals, uh, plants, nature? What about those influences? Well, I, I definitely think that the rest of creation seems to know its divine purpose more oftentimes than we do. I mean, you, you don't see the animal kingdom running amok like we do, or you don't see nature and trees running amok the way we do. That somehow, in fact, there's a reading that suggests that only humankind has forgotten the purpose for which it was created. Everyone else seems to remember. So I think that yes, all these other forms of creation are sources of divinity. I think they're different than the human creature. Casey would say that, that, that only humans have the ability to become companions and co-creators with God in the same level as equals, and yet everything else is a part of God. In fact, uh, I wrote an article for a magazine that comes out towards the end of the year that basically says, you know, since the dawn of time, we've had all these discussions about which religion is right, which religion is the best one, and from Casey's perspective, in all of creation, there's only God. So everything is a part of God, regardless of what, what, what we think of that or what we call it. Everything is part of God. Everything. Beautiful. The, uh, you know, many indigenous cultures said that, uh, you know, they would talk about animals being, you know, and nature being our teacher. You know, I think so, many, uh, so much of the more modern cultures see us as superior to the animals or superior to nature. And, and really, you know, from the indigenous perspective, nature was, was not necessarily superior, but they were our teachers and our guide to help us remember our purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so listen, a couple things. Usually uh, what I do is I ask my guest uh, to pick a, a, a nonprofit to donate to and, uh, and I post it and you're the only guest I did not ask, uh, but that's because I picked yours for you. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but I, okay. picked, I picked the ARE. Oh, well, I, thank I, you. We're, we're a nonprofit tax deductible, so that's perfect. Well, I just feel like, you know, you're, you, know uh, you guys have lasted seven generations since Edgar Casey's uh, crossing over, and it's been such an important organization to uh, enlightenment. I do believe it's the Association for Research and Enlightenment, correct? Correct. And we, and anytime, so it, like it costs $59 a year to be a member, but anytime someone wants a membership and can't afford the membership, we give it away. So we give away memberships all the time. We have a prison program where we give out free books to prisoners all the time. So we're constantly trying to get people the material, even if they can't afford it. Yeah. So if, if you want, um, the website's been listed in the chat room. It's also posted on uh, my Facebook page where we're live right now. Uh, and it's edgarcasey.org. Uh, and there's a donate button there, but also I, I highly recommend you uh, consider joining the the resources that they have the the library, being able to resource the readings. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible information, and it's definitely thought provoking. Um, you know, another uh, I wanted to get that in, and then another thing, I, Kevin, I just wanted to um, uh, ask you about because you mentioned Christ consciousness, uh, you mentioned God. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I bring this up for for people. So Edgar Casey's foundation is uh is not just a christian organization it is a it is a, 
uh, inclusive or not? How would you describe that? Can you sort of just give a little? Sure. I, I mean, although I mean, Casey had very different definitions for what we would call Christ. He would say the Christ consciousness is, and I quote, the awareness within within each soul imprinted in pattern on the mind and waiting to be awakened by the will of the soul's oneness with God. So the Christ consciousness is really the awareness of our oneness with God. So Jesus did manifest the Christ consciousness and awareness of his oneness with God, but that's available to all of us, regardless of our religious upbringing. So when people came to Edgar Cayce, uh, he recommended that they stay in whatever faith they were brought up with, and that if th that this material should make them a better Jew, a better Hindu, a better Mormon, whatever, better Catholic, whatever it was. That, uh, as I said, all religions, religion is basically man's creation to create community among other people of like mind, whereas spirit is something we share in common, our divinity with the creator. We're all a spark of divinity with God. And we go through various religions to try to better understand that spark from different perspectives. Great, and that's what I thought you would say something along that line, but I wanted to just make sure we got that out there. Hey, uh, do you have one more minute to answer? Somebody just added sure. one more question and it's actually an interesting question. Uh, it brings us back to rebellion, but I, I think that that is a, a concept that might be new for a lot of people, this idea of, of rebellion being selfish and the end of rebellion. Um, and they said, you know, what if, what if one lives in a very racist or selfish community and one doesn't want to be either racist or selfish? Isn't that sort of a rebellion, some sort of a rebellion? Or can you explain a little bit more about rebellion? So. Well, rebellion is, is doing things really out of accord with what's best for the whole, what's best for all of us. I don't think if, 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 if we're against something negative happening, I don't think that's rebellion. It's that if you're doing something that doesn't understand the love of God and the love of humankind being more important than my own desires, that's rebellion. So for example, and you know, some people don't like it when I say this, I do not think that we as a human creature are smart enough to own guns, uh, at least guns that are semi-automatic. So I think that the spirit of rebellion suggests that someday we're not going to be able to have those guns. And there are people who become very upset with that idea. That's the spirit of rebellion manifesting, that somehow my desires are greater than the desires of the whole. And I think Casey would say that the desires of the whole are more important than my own selfish desires. And one of the great things about the United States is we really champion the desires of, uh, or the rights of individuals. That's great, but I think it has to be equaled out with the rights for society. And somehow those two things need to come together to really uh, help us become all that we were meant to be. The rights of the society being equaled with the rights of the individual. It, that's pretty tough when you have such strong, uh, diverse ideas on right and wrong. And uh, absolutely. That should be. So how do we as a humanity become, get closer to that, that ability to find a central, mm -hmm. uh, a central, I don't know, theme's not quite the right, right word, but, but you know, a way to sort of come to a place of, of agreement or collective, uh, acceptance? I, I think that the short answer is that it's not going to happen anytime soon. But <laughs> I was watching a, a show the other night on TV and it talked about how many different people are really rebelling at the fact that uh, they don't want to wear a mask when they go out in public. But then they showed very much the same wording, very much the same characters being upset in the 19, late 1980s when people were told they had to wear helmets to be on a motorcycle. 
And then they went back even further to the 1960s and they showed people being very much upset about the fact they had to wear seatbelts in the car. And all these are taking my rights away. And it showed how, even though that was the first impulse, you know, this is my right not to wear a seatbelt. This is my right not to wear a helmet. Eventually, the, the overall population rose to the occasion. And so that rebelliousness was eradicated. I think the same thing's gonna happen, whether it's guns or uh, masks, that eventually the, the, the most people is gonna be okay with. And then eventually, whatever generation comes along, it just becomes accepted. You know, the same thing has happened with people who, uh, with race relations. I think today it's much better, although it's certainly not ideal, it's much better for people who are non-Caucasian than it used to be. And eventually Caucasians are gonna be in the minority. So, I mean, it, it, things are changing. Even those of us, those people who don't want things to change, they are changing nonetheless. And the world is becoming much more open, much more embracing and much more of a mix of people and ethnicities and sexuality and male-female balance and all those kinds of things. We're gonna become a much better overall group of people. Yeah, the one thing I'm gonna just add to this is, uh, is maybe even turning it around in our, in, in, uh, and instead of rebelling against something, being for something. And, yeah, absolutely. And really being for something that is in alignment with uh, love, that's in alignment with compassion, that's in alignment with, you know, we, the, most people say they want peace, they want love, they, they care about compassion and, and they have these ideas, but then, you know, the minute they go in and they start fighting against something, it sort of it gets reduced down into a competitive energy, into a right-wrong energy. And if we can somehow learn how to stay above that and, and stay in that, that energy of love and compassion while still holding our, 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 uh, our truth, while still holding our right to be able to claim our truth and to be direct about what we feel, uh, but without necessarily needing to oppress the other person. And I think if we can create more of that state of consciousness, we'll bring more people into uh, an open conversation and that could bring an interesting uh, opportunity for change and growth for all of us, all of humanity. I think we froze up on Kevin. Kevin, we're gonna wrap up here. Hopefully you can hear me. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, did I lose you again? Or are you blipping back in? Can't tell. I think we lost him. Anyway, it was, uh, it was amazing to have uh, Kevin on here and I'm really grateful for him uh, giving us so much time. Uh, remember to maybe uh, make a donation to edgarcasey.org. Um, this was the last interview uh, in the Perspectives on the Pandemic series. Uh, this is uh, Spirit Walking with Asa Hoffman is the show, and, and this was the uh, Perspectives on the Pandemic series. And this is actually the last episode of where I'm interviewing. Next week is going to be just me, uh, back in my normal time, 7 p.m. Monday night. And I'm going to be talking about these last six interviews that we've done, uh, including this one with Kevin, and just sort of what I've learned from it, what I've gleaned, and a little bit about what we're transitioning into. Because uh, the week after, starting Monday, June 1st, uh, I'm going to start the next series, which is going to be... Uh, perspectives on the reemergence. And, and that's really going to focus, it's, it's obviously going to be similar, except it's really going to focus on uh, how we come back out of our uh, quarantine and not just go back into the same old patterns. You know, uh, one of the things Kevin talked about earlier was 5% was conscious mind, 95% unconscious, uh, unconscious mind. That is so easy to sink back into the unconscious and to um, uh, just fall back into the same old habits and patterns. And we've seen uh, amazing examples from the earth of the ability to 
recover and grow and expand with just uh, with less noise, <laughs> less activity. You know, how do we maybe embody that as we go forward? Anyway, that and, and many things more we're going to be talking about. So next week, 7 p.m., back with me, perspectives on the pandemic, sort of a summarizing this whole season. And then we'll start after that with uh, perspectives on the reemergence. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate uh, you taking all this time uh, with us. So very grateful. Anyway, I will see you all soon. Thanks for having me on the program. It was great. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Awesome. Everybody, have a great rest of the week. Thanks for taking the time this Monday afternoon. Much love.